In a little bit, you'll see the messages up behind me. And today's message you'll see entitled um, in that list also. But I want to kind of give you something up front. A while back, I learned from someone much wiser than me who had led a lot of small groups that you have to start, if you're doing a Bible study in someone's home and you're inviting even non-believers to the Bible study, you have to start with this idea that we're going to treat the Word of God as if it is the Word of God. That's going to be our basis. We're studying this because we believe it to be God's Word. And the non-believers have to be aware of that. Um, In case you don't know this, non-believers will judge us when we act like we don't believe what we say we believe. Because that's hypocrisy. So we don't have to tiptoe around things. But I just want to offer some clarity up front. I've got three presumptions. You can see the titles there now. And today is Family and Work Standards. But I want to give you three presumptions. Presumption number one. You respect the authority of God's Word. That's a presumption that I make when I'm presenting a message. When I'm preaching on Sunday mornings, I believe my duty is to illuminate God's Word. So, my presumption is that you, anyone in the audience, and if you want to take you as personal, like you individually, yes, that's what I mean. You respect the authority of God's Word. I prepare based on that premise. Presumption number two, you are not unnecessarily or easily offended. Now, I know we live in a world where most people are unnecessarily and easily offended. We seem to walk around just waiting for somebody to hurt our feelings. Now, people don't really go around just, you know, I hope somebody hurts my feelings this morning. They don't go around thinking that, but out loud or even in their mind, it's not processing that way. But most people are very quick to get their feelings hurt. And even in churches, we have this common practice today of saying, that offends me. And that's like the end of it. You're not supposed to, no more discussion. Somebody said they're offended. We can't talk about it. And it's almost as if all of our other belief systems trump what the Bible says. And that shouldn't be. Let's not pretend that we are a church following the Bible if we're going to act like we can't talk about some subjects because some of us get offended. The reality is God's Word is offensive sometimes. Sometimes it just slaps us right in the face because we need to hear it. So I start with the presumption, number two, that you are not unnecessarily or easily offended. And then the third one, and just stay, stay with me. The third one, you are more gracious than critical. I know also that we live in a world where that's not the case. I also know that in a lot of our churches, people are more critical than gracious. It shouldn't be. But I'm not going to preach to our flaws. I'm not going to 
take the, the messages that I'm supposed to deliver to, to illuminate Scripture, I'm not going to water everything down and tailor it to the least common denominator. I'm going to make the presumption that we are Christians and we aspire to do better than we're doing. Even if we fail in some of these things that I'm presuming, So I wanted to give you this up front because the kind of message that our scripture mandates today is almost um, necessary to say these things because it is inevitable that as we walk through this scripture, somebody here is going to, first of all, not respect God's word as authority. Somebody here is more than likely not or is going to get unnecessarily and easily offended. Somebody here, more than likely, is going to be more critical than gracious. So I under, just understand, I'm not preaching to tiptoe around your feelings. You can get mad at me, but when it comes down to it, I hope to just illuminate Scripture. And if you don't like it, you can take a black marker and mark it out of your Bible but you don't get to do that with mine. And you don't get to change what God's Word is. So now, I'm going to launch right into something I have not ever done in 35 plus years of preaching. I have never shown an image on a screen that definitely could offend people. I'm going for it. This is a double barrel shotgun. If you don't know what one is, that is what one is. You're looking at it from the area that is known as the breech area. The shotgun that is a double-barrel shotgun typically is a breech loader, so that means you simply you break it, it opens up, and it's not really broken. You just open it up. That's a term you use. And then you put your shells in the shotgun. I have a, There's a reason for this. Now... This is what it looks like in the next image. You'll see when it's just in that, in that mode where it's open and you've got the breech load. So here's what happens when you close it back in a typical double barrel shotgun. When you close it back, it pulls back the firing pins. They, it's ready to fire. As soon as you do that, now if you touch the trigger, if it's not on safety, it will fire rather easily. Now, I want you to look at the triggers closely of this next image. There's two. One is for each barrel. Typically, the front one is for the right barrel, and the back one is for the left barrel. This does have something to do with the Bible. You'll see. (laughs) So, for 15 years, approximately, I taught a small group of men, different men each year, Uh, usually some of the same ones lingered, but for about 15 years, very close to Pleasant Valley Christian Camp and other places, we did shooting stuff for Christian men and boys. It was a lot of fun. One of the years I took my, as I had done years past, I took my breech-loading double-barrel side-by-side, which is what you've seen, shotgun, it was a 20-gauge, and I would teach people how you are careful 
with your firearms. Never point the dangerous end, the serious end. Never point the end where the bullets fly out towards people. This end right here. That's awful scary. So as I'm teaching this, I take this shotgun, and it's in breach. I load the shells, and I said, so always, because you see a lot of people, when they close it back, they'll do it with people standing right here. I've seen a lot of people do it. Don't. So I was telling them, don't. You're standing right here. I'm not going to do that to you. So I turned, and I closed it, and it fired by itself. I was pointing downrange at the targets. I did not know it was going to go off. You see, when the firing pins come back, when you close it, there is something that's holding it, and the triggers simply release it. There's a lot of guns that operate like this. In case you want to know, that's called double action. Anyway, I then said, that was not on purpose. So I loaded one again from the one that was fired, and I said, I'm going to do that one more time. Notice I'm not pointing it towards any of you, and it went off again. And since then, I've learned my gun can only be repaired if I take it to a gunsmith who is also a machinist who can make a new part because it's an old, old gun. Why did I go through all that? Because today as we go through Scripture, God is going to give us the double barrel. He is going to give us the shotgun. He is not going to leave us alone. He's not just going to go after one. He's going to go after two every single time he hits one of us. He's going to go after the other. You'll see. It's just the way he does it. He doesn't do it throughout the rest of Scripture, but he definitely does it in this passage today. So when he addresses one of us, he's going to address the other. Just brace yourself. He'll do it every time in our text today, and it's automatic. It's going to happen. I'm not skipping over it. God did it this way. It's supposed to happen this way. Now the gun is now closed. It's ready to fire, and it's going to fire because we're going to open up our Bibles, and we're going to see what it says. I'm going to start with a passage that actually is a precursor to our text today, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. I told you a while back about a Christian comedian. I gave you a great description of her and what happened where Howard Stern, remember, went into, when she got off the air, she just got done talking on the air, and she flipped the switch off so the light was green so he could open the door. Howard Stern opened the door and told her she needed to clean up her act. That's how foul this lady was. And when she was invited by a Christian couple to Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, she was not expecting that that particular Sunday the preacher would read that verse Wives, submit to your own husbands. She was ready to get up and leave, but she stayed. And the preacher, Bob Russell at the time, went on to actually explain what it means so that Scripture was illuminated. But this is an affront to a lot of people. A lot of women who hear this, wives, submit to your husbands as to your own husbands as to the Lord, very offended right up front. That's old, that's outdated, we don't do that anymore, that kind of thing. And that's how she felt. Ultimately, she ended up being converted to Christianity over several weeks. But she was drawn to God's word because she dropped her guard and she actually paid attention to what it was saying. 
This is not saying women submit to men. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying men are better than women. It's not what it's saying. In fact, the Bible doesn't even say that. And if I had time, I would do that chart again and explain it all to you. If you want to know my personal opinion based on a lot of scripture and experience, why God set things up the way he did, I'd be glad to talk to you. And I think that even the most offended person amongst us would understand. But I want to pay attention to what we're looking at here. I wanted to give you that support text to our verse because Colossians and Ephesians are almost identical in what they say. So let me go ahead and give you uh, the beginning of our text. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That's Colossians 3, 18 and 19. So in Colossians, we have the beginning. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. But that's the one barrel. Then the other barrel fires. Notice this. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Why did he have to say that? Why did God inspire the same writer this time to emphasize that second part? Wives, submit to your husbands. Why would he have to say that? Is it possible that there's going to come a time when wives might not want to do that? Is, there, is it possible that men might take something like this and abuse it and actually abuse their wives? Is it possible men might be too harsh with their wives, even if they know they're supposed to follow Scripture? Yeah, because this one, there, I've, there's a lot of men that take this and they use it as a, a weapon against their wives. And he says, he doesn't just give wives, submit to your husbands. He says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So I, I'm underlining this up behind me. You'll see a line come up. But I'm double underlining this, do not be harsh with them. Because that is a thing. And I don't know if you've paid attention much to the news, and I didn't put anything up here, but an author that I happen to respect a lot John F. MacArthur Jr., his church and his college is in a lot of trouble because they mishandled a situation and it's national news, and that's unfortunate. It still doesn't take away from the truth of Scripture. They mishandled people. They did not follow biblical principles as they mishandled the people. People were hurt, and I'm telling you, God has a safeguard in here as he fires one barrel at the wives, you've got to submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then this other one, husbands, do not be harsh with them. Love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Now, it's interesting that he didn't just leave it at love your wives. Don't you think we should have been able to figure that out, that loving our wives means don't be harsh with them? Guess what? No, we don't. A lot of times... We are too rough with our wives. That's why God has this in here. Don't you know? Let me just say this to the men right now. Don't you know that women are judged far more than men on a daily, regular basis? A man who gets in some kind of accident and has a scar on his face takes it as a pride of honor. A woman feels like people judge her. 
every time they look at her. Um, a man can walk across the room and trip over the carpet and laugh, and people laugh with him, and he's fine. A woman can walk gracefully across the room and feel like other women are judging her. Women have this, there's just this thing that it's very difficult for a woman to simply to get up and walk across the room without feeling like other women are judging her. Because, look, we raised six kids. They're all adults now. Here's the way that my personal opinion, the way I've seen it play out. Boys can do stupid so well. It makes no sense. They just do it and... They, I, I am one, and I can still do stupid. Very, well. I'm skilled at doing stupid. You'll probably see me do it, probably a lot. Girls do mean very well. And the girls that work hard at being nice, trying to be a godly woman, they feel the meanness. So... If you're fortunate enough to find a marriage partner that is a Christian woman, you have the ability in your hands to treat her well, to love her like she's supposed to be loved so that she doesn't have to live in a world where she feels like she's going to be judged all the time. Don't be harsh with her. That's why I double underlined it. Because God did that. He said, love your wives And don't be harsh with them. He had to say that because we wouldn't figure it out, guys. He had to say that. There it is in your Bible. And he he doesn't just say it once. We're going to look at it again in a minute, but I thought we're not really doing Scripture justice. If I give you this Ephesians 5 passage without looking at it in context, the lady that I was telling you about that was so rough that Howard Stern had to correct... She got to hear it in context. The preacher backed up and he went backwards and he went forwards. And so I want to give it to you in context. It's smaller print. Hopefully you'll be able to read it and hopefully I will be able to on the back wall because I can't in my notes. So here you go. Ephesians 5, 21, and we're going to read through. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy without blemish. Now, for a moment, I want to go ahead and make it clear to you He's talking about the church also. So Christ wants his bride, the church, to be holy, without fault, without blemish, to appear beautiful to the world. That's just the way it's supposed to be. One of those things that's unfortunate in our modern times is the church at times, sometimes we've misbehaved, sometimes we don't look so good, but the reality is Christ still wants his church to look beautiful. That's why he died for us, so that he could take our sins away. But he wants his bride to be beautiful. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment, because it's an analogy, but still, he's giving instructions to husbands here at this point. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. This is where 
this lady that was so rough got pulled in to the scriptures, even though she was offended by it. Because you see, husbands are told you have to love your wives. And we're not just told what that, we're not just given love your wives in this passage, just like in the Colossians passage, God says, don't be harsh with them. This passage is even bigger. This one, it says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And if you think about what that is, he was willing to give his life to suffer and die for his bride. Men, if your wives know that absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt, you would suffer and die for her just so that she appears beautiful to the world without flaw, without flaws, but without spot or blemish so that she looks perfect to everybody. You would suffer and die for her. If she knows that, it's not offensive to hear submit to him because he's not going to hurt you. He's not going to let you be hurt if he can ha- have anything to do with it. He's not going to even have you. He doesn't want anybody even to notice a flaw you might have. You see how that works? And when this lady that was so offended by wives submit to your husband heard that part about, wow, about Christ that loved his bride so much that he was willing to die for her so that she would look perfect. She turned to her friend and said, you show me a man like that and I'll marry him. (laughs) And guess what? She got introduced to Jesus. Men, we are supposed to represent the kind of love that Christ had has for his church. And, and a really sad thing is, as I talk about that sort of thing in a setting where we have mixed company, we have women and we have men, we have husbands and we have wives. Too many times, the wives are sitting there, they're not nudging their husbands, but they're sure hoping he can hear this. They're sure hoping that the preacher will not just leave it, that he'll talk about it, he'll explain it, he'll help them. Hopefully, my husband will get a hold of this and treat me differently, and that is a shame. But God had to spell it out for us. He knew we would struggle because we men can do stupid so well. All right. I hope that's been clear because God did make it clear, but I said I'd do this in context. Let's go ahead and read a chunk after this. So we'll add this uh, little piece, starting picking up with verse 32. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Don't forget, I told you, he's gonna, when he goes after one, he goes after the other. He's, today, it's a shotgun. It's a double-barrel shotgun, and it's automatic. So he went back to the wife again. And you, why did he have to say that she's supposed to make sure she respects him? Because we're going to do things that aren't very respectful sometimes. We all make mistakes. Our wives have flaws but we are supposed to be willing to suffer and die so that other people don't notice. We're not supposed to highlight the flaws. 
<laughs> we're not supposed to hang on to the flaws. We're not supposed to hang on to other people's mistakes. We're supposed to be gracious. And the same thing with wives to the husbands. He doesn't always act respectful. He should. But he's going to make mistakes. Don't hang on to the mistakes. One of the things that you can do as a wife, if you want to chop the feet out from under your husband, is make sure he knows you don't respect him. That's how you can knock the wind out of his sail. That's how you can take him down and make him feel like, why try? You don't want a husband that feels like, why try? Then do what you can to show respect as best you can. Husbands, you should be earning it in the first place. But wives, you have a responsibility to show respect to your husbands. That's what it doesn't just say show respect. It says respect. Too many times we get in conversations, and these conversations turn into a thing where we're hurting each other with our words on purpose. Remember when I said about girls can do mean really well? They're better at it. They are better with their words, and they can take the wind out of our sails. So it's important that you don't cross that line and make him convinced that you don't respect him. That's not okay. I'm, I'm not standing up here saying this for any other reason other than I, I think my job is to illuminate Scripture. This is what God's telling us. And I would be doing a disservice if I didn't go ahead and give you the other piece that we went through in 1 Peter. So I want to read that to you now. You'll see it come up behind me. You can read along. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting with verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, there's a couple of things I want to focus on. I don't want to try to... This isn't a time where we're just ripping this apart and going through parsing every word. I know some things might, you might not understand, but I want you to understand at least a couple of things here. First of all, we're supposed to be understanding that when it comes down to, the context of this and the whole idea is when it comes down to it, husbands, we are far more capable of hurting her than she is of us. We both can hurt each other, there's no doubt. But this verse is trying to drive home a point to the husbands that God is emphasizing it so much. The second thing I want you to remember is what God's given us. Our prayers can be hindered, men, if we are not carefully handling our wives. If we're not gently caring for our wives. The whole ceremony, when you do a wedding ceremony, the way that plays out is you have the father and the mother now. It's together. The father represents the father and mother, but they do it together. Who's, who gives this woman to be married to this man? Her mother and I. That sort of thing. What that's representing is they are entrusting that this man is going to care for the princess they have raised. And God emphasizes this. We are not supposed to mishandle this gift. She's now in our care. You see, what happens is when we start mishandling her, we start hurting her, she realizes 
she's going to have to protect herself even against our, her own husband. And when she does that, you're roughing her up. You're making her rougher around the edges. She is going to become less and less the woman you married if you keep roughing her up. So don't. You married her for all these reasons. Illuminate her good. Don't make her guarded against your bad. So that's what this is telling us. There's a couple of things. You can hurt her and damage her far more than she can you. That's what this is about. And God says, because of that, I might not listen to you when you come to me and ask for things. Nowhere in the Bible do you see God saying to the women, hey, treat your husbands the way I told you, or I'm not going to listen to your prayers. No, it comes down on the men, because if the men are going to be the ones who are supposed to be taking the lead in the family, then take the lead, because you're making everybody else vulnerable to you if you're leading. Don't hurt them. Are you with me in this? Do you understand what God's saying? I know it's not popular, but if men would treat their wives better, it would be a better world. And I think it would be easier for the wives to treat their husbands. I had a wise elder in a church tell me one time, treat her like a queen and you've got a better chance of being treated like a king. I think that's what all of this is saying together. So, now we move on to the next target in our scripture, Colossians chapter 3, verse 20 and following. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, don't provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now, isn't that fascinating? Here we go again. <laughs> he didn't take the time, as he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, people, throw in, people like to use exceptions as the rule, and so they like to throw these things in. Well, what if your parents ask you to do something that's definitely not Christian? This is not talking about that. You, you know you're not... If your parents ask you to sin, that's between you and God, you definitely shouldn't sin. That's not talking about this. We're assuming that there's Christian parents and they're not asking you to do anything that's sinful. So if it's sinful, don't do it. Children, obey your parents in everything, assuming your parents are being Christian parents. For this pleases the Lord. Obviously, it wouldn't be pleasing to the Lord if parents were telling their children to do wrong things. I have a family member that actually told me that she brought illegal drugs into her home for her children to use because she thought, well, it's better that it's done in the safety of my home than out there. It's very bad parenting. So if your parents ask you to do something that's sinful, don't do that. That doesn't please the Lord. Clearly, the assumption is you're at, their parents are asking you to do things that are pleasing to the Lord. But notice that God had to throw this other barrel. He had to fire the other barrel, and it doesn't even go to the women, to the wives. He didn't have to say to the wives, now, wives... Love your children with motherly love. It's something that Christian women tend to do quite naturally. But fathers, on the other hand, he had to say it. Don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. 
Don't push their buttons. Don't agitate them. Think about the consequences of the outcome and how you handle your children. And God directed it particularly at the fathers because we can do stupid so many kinds of ways. So God has to give us specifics. Hey, what I mean, <laughs> he gives us some direction. So don't cause your children to be sinful. I want to give you also the Ephesians parallel. So here it is. Ephesians 6, 1 and following. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, if we're going to take the lead, then we need to lead in, in imparting wisdom, not bad attitudes, not anger, you know, you can, buffets are not popular because of COVID, but I love buffets. Even as a germaphobe, believe it or not, I love buffets. I just watch what people do before I go up there. But anyway, <laughs> there, are, there are times when people will, um, people will say, well, uh, they don't come out and say, overeating run, runs in my family. They just say things like, we've all got big bones. You know, the reality is we, we teach behaviors to our children. Not just overeating behaviors, but we also teach other behaviors like anger. When uh, somebody is coming to me like a family and they're talking about, you know, yelling at each other in the home, and if it comes up, and even if it doesn't, I usually bring it up, but we don't yell at each other in our homes. That's, a, that's an indicative of a problem. It's, and it tends to be a learned behavior. I don't know if you've ever been on the other side of being uh, an administrator or a teacher or somebody that's employed with a school district. But it's interesting when you have a child who throws tantrums quite frequently when their parents come in and you have to deal with them, they throw tantrums too. Wonder where the child learned that. Anger is a learned behavior. That's why Solomon several times says, stay away from angry people, lest you become like them. So we are told twice in Scripture that I've just highlighted, fathers, don't cause your children to be angry. And fathers are the ones that typically tend to be the ones who show the children how to live out misconduct with anger. Now, I want to show you, I want to give you some tools other than Scripture uh, today. So, first of all, I want to give you a radio station um, that you might want to tune in. I'm not endorsing the whole station and everything on there because I don't know what's all on there, but this is a local radio station. It's Christian Talk Radio, uh, and what that means is typically they're putting podcasts on the radio. That's what it is. And the reason why I'm giving you that, that uh, dial number, because most of us have cars that can pull in FM. If you have the most basic vehicle, it's probably got FM. And I would encourage you to find, it does get played on this, uh, Focus on the Family. Anything associated with Focus on the Family is usually great, whether it's written material or if it's on this dial. But I want to give you, and you can get online and get Focus on the Family stuff. It's, it's good stuff. 
I'm going to give you two books that I highly recommend, neither of which are Christian. The first one you see up behind me is Be the Parent, Please. (laughs) It's a fascinating book, and it basically tells parents to reduce the screen time. In fact, she would encourage you to ban the screen time because what parenting has become over the past 20-plus years is just give them a tablet, just give them a phone, just put them in front of the TV. And in this book, you will see the science that shows that when we do that to our children, we are causing developmental issues. Their brain is not developing the way it's supposed to because of screen time. So I, heard, I would encourage you to read it. Don't just believe me. Read it. Listen to the science. Search it out. Um, highly recommend it. Here's another one I highly recommend to you. Not a Christian book. It's called The Marshmallow Test. It's a fascinating book that highlights the need for us to impart the wisdom of self-control and specifically delayed gratification. We live in a world where people keep saying, just do for you, do for yourself, whatever makes you feel good. There was a, a, a professor who was preaching one time, and I loved what he said in the message. He goes, I'm sorry I was a little bit late getting here. You might have noticed I dragged in. He said, but, you know, I, there was a truck in front of me, and it had a bumper sticker, and it said, do whatever feels good twice. So I rammed him. Twice. No, <laughs> People don't really mean do whatever feels good to you because some people like hitting people and you don't want to get hit. So be careful in saying that. But the idea of delayed gratification is a wonderful thing to teach people because what was discovered through many years of research and it's documented in the marshmallow test is that people who learn how to utilize self-control, particularly delayed gratification. In other words, I can wait. I don't have to eat right now just because I'm hungry. I can wait a little bit. I don't have to eat while I'm cooking because I'm hungry. I can wait till it's served to everybody. I don't have to, whatever it is in instant gratification, I can wait. People that learn that tend to be successful at whatever they aim to be successful at because they've learned self-control. One of the fruits of the Spirit, by the way, doesn't say that in this book because it's not a Christian book, but I highly recommend these, and I don't know about Be the Parent, but I know the Marshmallow Test, you can get an audio format. If you have a commute, you can do it that way. So back to our text. Now we have another one of the barrels. This is, starts with bond servants, Colossians 3.22. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Now, one of the more troubling things about this, and we don't have time to get into it, um, but we will. There is another message coming. We will address the issue of slavery, and we'll peel that back and talk about it and, and all of the ugliness that's associated with how Humans have mistreated humans and still do. But right now, what I want to talk about is how we apply this to today. So when it comes to how it applies to us, bond servants would be 
and by the way, that's the same term used and how we're supposed to be for the Lord. We're, we're supposed to, if you want to have salvation, if you want to go to heaven and not hell, you have to choose to be a bondservant of the Lord. You choose it. But this is particularly applicable to those of us who work. Bondservants would be the employees. Obey everything in everything, those who are your bosses. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers. In other words, when they are there, you show them good behavior. It's one of those unfortunate things about working inside the walls of a prison. Nobody comes to the prison by accident. Nobody just shows up and gets to walk through. There's a lot that has to happen before somebody can come into the prison, including the bosses, the people that are at headquarters or legislators or other politicians. If they want to come into the prison, lots has to happen before they get there and everybody needs to know they're coming. And when they get there, everybody's doing their job quite well. It always looks like we're doing it all right because when they came through, they were doing it all right. So, and the, I can tell you another thing. The people in our care, the incarcerated individuals, they are not throwing tantrums. They are not shaking things. They're not breaking things. They're not getting in fights. They're not doing those things when the big shots are there because they don't want it to look like they should be there. <laughs> so don't just do eye service when you... When the boss happens to be there, now you're doing your job the way it's supposed to be done. No, 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 no. When they're not looking. It's one of those good things about working inside a prison is you can always pretty much rest assured you are being video and audio recorded. A little bit easier to make sure you're doing your job. Not everybody remembers that. When it comes to God, he's always watching wherever you are. And some of us still don't even think like that. We see a police car or a state patrol or a deputy's vehicle, and suddenly we hit the brakes. Whoo, better slow down. Why? Because you were just not obeying the law because you didn't see somebody enforcing it? Hmm, how about that? So, Don't just do it by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. That's an important piece of how we're supposed to live. I want to go ahead and read to you the next part. Verse 23 and following. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, You are serving the Lord Christ. See how that could change everything? If you actually live in such a way, when you are doing your work, whatever it is, not only are you thinking that your boss could be watching the whole time, but you're thinking that your heavenly father is watching the whole time. And you're doing everything to please the Lord. That when you're working, you're wanting Some of us do this kind of thing. We like have a grandmother that passed away or a great-grandfather or whoever it is or a parent, and we just hope they would be proud. Hope they would be proud of what I'm doing. 
If they could see what I'm doing, I sure hope they would be proud. And we use that as a motivation, you know, like, I just, I just want to, I would want to make them proud. Well, the God the Father wants to be proud of you too. And you should, as Christians, want to live in such a way that you want to make him proud all the time. Whether you are doing menial labor or paperwork or whatever your job entails, Lord, I want to please you. If you live like that, it's no guarantee that your earthly bosses are going to notice the main thing that matters is our Father does. And isn't that the main thing? When it comes down to it, at the end of it all, we have to face judgment or reward. I want to please the Lord, don't you? Okay. And the last part in our text, I want to read to you. Uh, there's, there's actually one more verse, but I'm going to read you this one. Colossians chapter... 3, verse 25, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there's no partiality. That has everything to do with working for your employer. You, you should do the right thing when you have an opportunity to do the wrong thing because there are consequences for bad behavior even while you work. But our context continues into chapter 4. So look at verse 1 in chapter 4. Masters, which would be employers, bosses, treat your bondservants, your employees, justly and fairly, knowing that you have also a master in heaven. So Christians who happen to be CEOs or happen to be managers or some type of a supervisor over other people, if you're going to call yourself a Christian then act like one as you supervise. Treat your employees in a way that would please the Lord. What kind of world would this be if there were more and more bosses that were Christian, more and more supervisors that considered that everything they did as a supervisor will be judged by God? And everything they did, they wanted to make sure they didn't make a misstep that would displease the Lord. Can you imagine if more of us had supervisors like that? Wouldn't that be a better world? And if more employees also did everything to try to please the Lord? Man, things would cost less probably. There would be a lot less laziness and things would probably be expedited in manufacturing and service. I love how God puts it all together. So let's look at everything we've seen today when it comes to Scripture and wrap it up. We all have responsibilities. We've just got shot with a shotgun, double barrel, all over the place, multiple targets. He didn't miss any of us. So here are the things that we've looked at. There's seven items. First of all, Christians submit to one another out of love for Christ. I don't know if you noticed that, but at, the, at part of our text, it very clearly Part of our um, support text clearly started with submit to one another. So this whole idea of wives submit to your husband should not be that uh, hard for us to think about because husbands are also supposed to submit to their wives. As Christians, we are supposed to submit to one another. Does that make sense? There's just supposed to be one who's supposed to take the lead in the home. Unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. 
Okay, the second thing. Wives, submit to your husbands and show them respect. Those are the two main things that we read for wives. And the third thing. Husbands, treat your wives carefully, respectfully, gently, and lovingly. We had to have it spelled out. Okay, fourth thing. Children, obey your parents. It's vital. We don't have children in the room. They went out there. Well, we got one. Do you hear me? I'm talking just to you. No, I'm not. Talking to all children uh, everywhere that hears this. Uh, It's good, good words from God. Children, obey your parents. Okay, the fifth thing. Fathers, lovingly and wisely lead your children. It had to be spelled out for us. Okay, the sixth thing. Employees work heartily representing the Lord. And the seventh thing, bosses, treat your employees well. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for making clear our responsibilities. Lord, it is often very very difficult just to navigate through the muddy waters of this crazy world. We thank you for clearing things up, giving us absolute direction. Help us when we fail. May we never fail to love you and love others. In Jesus' name, amen.